We'll start reading from verse 1 in John chapter 20. Father, bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to other disciples whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooped down, and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he in not. Then come the Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seized the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and when he saw, he believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said, they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when they had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say to them, Say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and to your father, and to my God, and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Amen. Lord, bless this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't it a great story? Isn't it an awesome story how historically we have Jesus Christ rise from the dead? You know, it is said that the that there's more evidence of the resurrection of Christ than the evidence that Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. The fact that the tomb had been uh, opened and had been rolled away 
is historically verified because the Roman government, when they put the tombstone over a tomb, they put a stamp on it. And anyone that would break that stone or break that seal on the tomb would be guilty of the same crime that the person was inside of the tomb. So people, Muslims and others say that Jesus' body was stolen from the grave by his disciples to create a picture that Jesus rose from the dead. But no Pharisee and no, no person would dare to do that because of the, of the, um, of the grave uh, punishment that would come upon that person being, in this case, crucifixion. And no one wanted to, be, wanted to risk that crucifixion uh, to rescue the body from the grave. And so we have here a testimony, not only that Jesus' body rose from the dead, but there is a testimony in the book of Acts, the first book of Acts, the first chapter of the book of Acts, that over 500 people saw him. 500 people saw Jesus Christ in person. There are people that walked with him on the road uh, to Emmaus. There are people that, like we see here, Mary. And isn't it, inter isn't it interesting that we see that uh, a woman is the first one to see the resurrected Christ? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> All the ladies like that here, don't they? <laughs> and the truth is, really, the truth is, we have, 12 we have 12 disciples, all men. But isn't it the case many times, I'm not going to say unfortunately, but this is really the case many times that it's women that really respond to Jesus Christ first many times in the family. And it's us men that are trying to catch up, isn't it? Many times the wife gets first, the wife or the mother or the, um, in my case, in my family, it was my mother that got saved first and she led the rest of us to Christ. And that's really the way it goes many times is that, that it's the woman here, Mary, that sees Christ resurrected. Uh, we have to understand, and I'm not going to preach about this, but we have to understand how significant that is because in the Jewish culture, at that time, it is very much like it is in the Middle East today that women did not have really a very high place in society. Uh, as a matter of fact, a woman could not be a witness in Jewish court at that time. A woman could not be a legitimate witness in a court case at that time. Can you imagine that? And who does Jesus show himself first to? Someone who cannot be a legitimate witness in a court case. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, and there's, 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 there's reasons for this. I want to look at these reasons for that today. But let's read a very interesting scripture. Let's go back to John chapter 10. Next week I want to have it set up on our screen so that we can see the verses as we're reading them. John chapter 10. Verse 17, and my wife and I had a, just a, a good conversation last night. It really provoked me in thinking about this subject um, today. John chapter 10, Jesus makes this very interesting statement in verse 17. He said, for this reason, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Think about that. Jesus had power to lay down his life in the crucifixion. And he also has power to take it up again. 
But does he take it up again? No, he does not take it up again. Who resurrected Christ in Romans chapter 8, verse 11? It was the Spirit of God that quickened the body of Christ in that tomb. Did Jesus die when he was crucified? When Jesus was crucified, what did he say? What were his last words? Does anybody remember? After it is finished? He said, into your hands I what? Commit my spirit. Was Jesus in control or was he not in control? He said he gave permission for his spirit to be released from his body at that point. Did Jesus ever die or lose consciousness? No, he did not. When he died, his body was taken down from the cross and it was buried for three days. But we know that Jesus was... Uh, one of the things that he did was, was that he descended into, not into hell, hell, like the fiery hell that we know of today, but he went into a part of hell where demons and angels from Genesis chapter 10 were imprisoned, and he announced to them, he said, Satan did what he could do to kill me and to end my life and to end my mission, but he was not successful, and he was just saying to those angels and demons that were in Tartarus in, in, from Genesis chapter 10. I won't get, in, I won't get into that this morning, but uh, Genesis chapter 6, and we know that there were angels that fell from heaven, right? That um, in, during the flood, and they were, um, not Genesis 10, I'm sorry, Genesis 6, they were imprisoned uh, because they left their first estate. And uh, that was an attempt by the devil to corrupt the human race so that when Jesus died on the cross, it, Jesus would not be a pure-bred human being. And so Jesus said to those angels that were from Genesis chapter 6, when he, when he died, he went into hell and he preached. He announced to the demons, he said, your plan did not work. And then he, again, he appears here to Mary. And that's why he said to Mary, do not, in the King James, it says, don't touch me. But that's not what he said. In the Greek, it says, he says, don't, don't cling to me, don't hug me. Because the first thing that Mary wanted to do was to run and hug Jesus. Can you imagine uh, your master and teacher and your savior uh, that you just um, love him so much because of his investment in your life is murdered. And he's, he's betrayed and he's killed and he's murdered and he's crucified. Can you imagine seeing, and then he's risen from the dead. He is risen, and Mary wants to cling to him, wants to hug him, and Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus here says, very interesting, he said, I lay down my life. Jesus had the power to lay down his life. What does it mean to lay down your life? And I want to be very practical this morning so that we walk out of here, and it's not just the traditional message that we hear on Easter, but something very practical that we can take home with us. Jesus said, I have power I have authority to lay down my life. Okay? And that means that he had the power and the authority to make the decision to lay down his life at the cross. Sometimes people think that Jesus was a poor victim. Right? There was the, there was the French painting, uh, and I don't know if I can say this correctly in French, but it's le pathétique, and it means the pathetic one. And it... it it is a picture of a sorrowful victim 
uh, Christ as the victim and not the victor. Jesus said here, I lay down my life. He said later on that no one has taken it from me. No one can take it from me. And I want to talk about that in a minute, that Jesus laid down his life and no one took it from him. And he said, I have authority to take it up again. He could have done it. He could have called 10,000 angels down at that moment when people were mocking him on the cross. But he did not do that. Because the reason that Jesus was on the cross was much bigger than what he was experiencing and what people thought of him. Think of that for a moment. Jesus took the risk to look the way he did, to appear to be the loser or the victim. Jesus took the risk to be the victim because he understood that what he was doing was much bigger than what people thought of him, much bigger than what his disciples did not understand. Imagine that. Here you are, Savior of the world, three years teaching your disciples. And then, and then uh, the clutch day comes. It's crucifixion day, and your disciples scatter. Isn't that unbelievable? Jesus died alone on the cross. His disciples did not understand what was going on. And he was mocked, and he was mocked. And we, we know that um, unbelievable mockery of that precious Son of God that Jesus endured. And Jesus said, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have authority to take it up. Jesus was not a victim. And I want to talk about that here for a minute. Remember what Pastor Tony just read in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. There were three responses to the empty tomb. How many remember those three responses? Think about it in a second. Think about it for a second in your mind. What were the three responses that people had to the tomb, the empty tomb? Number one, the first response was John's, John's response. And what was John's response in verse 8? He calls himself the other disciple because he's writing the book here of John. He said, the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also and saw and believed. That's the first response. You know, when we talk to people about Easter, there's going to be three responses to what you say to people about an empty tomb. Number one, there are going to be some people that believe. Yes, I believe. And that's John. John outran Peter. Either Peter was not as in good shape as John or he was heavier or whatever. We don't know. But he outran Maybe I think it was just because of the expectation and joy that John had as he heard about the empty tomb. Guilty, fearful, shameful disciples sitting together, and then they hear that the tomb is empty, and they run. And so John gets there first, and that's really the first response that we see today people have, that it's empty. And you know what John said in his heart? He said, he is risen just as he said. Jesus talked about this. And Jesus, John even remembers that in Mark chapter 9, Jesus talked about this in verse 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be delivered up to and be betrayed and then crucified. But then he said on the third day he will rise. And Jesus talked about this himself. And John remembered that. And that's the first response that many times people will have. The second response really is we see here in verse 9. It says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture. What scripture? The 
prophecies, John, uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 31, they didn't understand that. The word here for understand is E-I-D-O in the original language, in the Greek language. And what that means is to see something and to understand what you're looking at. The disciples saw the empty tomb, but they didn't understand what they were looking at. They didn't understand it. Why? Because there was not that aspect of trust in what was said. They were not thinking about what they were looking at. And then the third response, and I want to explain these all in a minute, the third response was Mary's response, which is very interesting because Mary had somewhat of a spiritual separation anxiety. She was, do you know what that means, separation anxiety? If you have a dog, you know what that means. Or if you have a child, you know what that means. We don't have kids, we have a dog. When you leave your kid alone or when you're left alone, there is this anxiety, are they ever coming back? You know, is my parents ever coming back? And maybe not every kid thinks that way because they know their, their parents love them. But Mary had this thought that she saw the empty tomb, and this was a response that she had was as a response of tragedy and sadness and anxiety. And there are some people that look at the empty tomb, and they are just, they are, it, for them, it's very tragic, and it's very sad, and there's a lot of fear in that. Let's look at the, let's look at the second one here, because we mentioned in, in verse, verse 8. But let's look at verse 8 again. John saw and he believed. There's a word that we use sometimes, and we, it's, a word, it's a term called critical thinking. How many know what critical thinking means? It means to look at something critically, analyze it, and understand what you're looking at to think the thought, to think about what you're looking at to the end. That's what my teachers always taught me. Think the thought to the end. Take the thought that you have and think it all the way to the end, to the consequence of it. And there are some people that, whenever, or there's us, whenever we don't think a thought to the end, we make mistakes and we make foolish decisions. John thought the matter to the end. He saw and he believed. That's what the Bible says here, doesn't it? That's what faith is. It means to see something. What did he see? An empty tomb. He saw something impossible. He saw something, he saw something incredible. He saw something supernatural. But what was his response? He believed. Everyone sees the same thing. This, a, a Christian doesn't have any different eyes than an, uh, an unbeliever or another person. We all see the same thing. We all see evil. We all see situations, we all see impossibilities in our life, don't we? We see things that don't make any sense. But the disciple, the disciple here, John, sees and then he believes. He sees, he has a critical, analytical thought about what he's looking at. He says the tomb is empty. And then what happens? He remembers what Jesus said. And that's the thing that we want to make the main point here about on Easter Sunday is that when we look at an empty tomb, or when we look at an impossible phenomenon in our life, when we look at something that does not make sense, when we look at something that just goes against our feelings and the way we our opinions are, when it goes against all of what we think is right, we have to say, Jesus said this earlier. We have to revert to what the Word says. And this is proper thinking. How many understand what I'm saying? Look at your empty tomb. 
look at your situation and don't look at what is don't look at the emptiness look at what's not there and that what's not there is Jesus Christ and remember what he said in John in, in Mark 9 verse 31 he will rise again this is the way the word of god works okay and this is why this is why we want to be in church because what we do, what happens is, is that God always gives us the word before the, the trial happens. God always gives us his strategy before a situation happens. Mark chapter 9 happens before, right, John chapter 20, doesn't it? Mark chapter 9 says, I will rise again, and then comes, Mark, and then comes John chapter 20, the empty tomb. And that is why, that is why, um, that is why the word of God and... Church for us is so important. The second thing here that we see, the second response, are those that, those disciples that did not understand that Jesus would rise again. And what did they do? They went home. It says here they just went home. Each went back to his own home. And that's what happens when we look at a circumstance and we don't think critically and we don't think properly about what God says about that circumstance. What's going to happen is, is that there's going to be defragmentation. People are just going to go home. They're just, everyone's going to go to their own house. They're going to just go back to their own life. And there's not going to be any unity. There's not going to be any cohesiveness. There's not going to be any kind of thinking about what God is doing. They're just going to, what they did was they shrugged their shoulders. They're like, I don't know. And then they just go home. And they just sit there and they don't know what's happening. It's because they are looking at something and they don't understand what they're looking at. They're not thinking about, what does the word say about this? Many times things will happen in our life. We're not going to understand what we're looking at. We need to go back to the word and say, Lord, what do you say about this matter? We go home and we get on our knees. We close the door. We get on our knees. And we just we shut the phone off. We shut off the computer. We shut off everything. We get on our knees before the Lord. And we say, God, talk to me. What's going on here? I see an empty tomb. I don't understand what it means. And then the third thing, and this is what I want to just focus on and, and, and conclude our message with, is Mary's response. Mary, like many of us, look at a circumstance, we panic, right? It's Mary, and it, it's just Mary, it's amazing that the Bible's so honest. I'm so glad that the Bible's not filled with holy people that don't sin. I, I just, if that was the kind of book, I would be, I'd be like, this is not the religion for me. You know, Paul the Apostle, remember? Wrote three quarters of the New Testament. What kind of life did he live before he met God? Oh, he only killed Christians. That's all. <laughs> He's only a murderer. How about David? David the king, the king of Israel. The greatest king of Israel. What about his history? Okay. Was he like a super holy person? No, he was not. He was a, he was a man that needed a lot of grace in his life. And he overcame things in his life because he knew the grace of God. Mary here is a type of person that kind of we could relate to in a lot of ways. We see something like an empty tomb and we panic. We're like, oh my gosh, what is this? What is this? I don't understand. It's an empty tomb. And not only was it empty, but the, the, clo the clothing that Jesus was wrapped in was all folded nicely. Can you imagine that? That just really, that just speaks to me a lot, you know, that angels are orderly people, you know? You know, I just... Why my wife says, don't throw your clothes everywhere. <laughs> I don't do that anyway. I don't think I do. 
But the, 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 clothes and the, cave, the clothes and the tomb were folded nicely. And that tells us that God is a God of order. And Mary panicked and she said, where is this? Where is my Savior? And there were two angels there. And they said to, in whites, they were, in verse 12, they, were, they said to Mary, in verse 13, why are you weeping? That's a good question. You know, sometimes when we emotionally react to what's going on in the plan of God, when we should be rejoicing because of walking by faith in our life, and, but we're weeping, and the angels are like, why are you weeping? That's, I think that's just the way they said it. I try to imagine. I mean, they must have been so happy. This is, the angels understood that Jesus rose from the dead. This was a culmination of, 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 of history and prophecy, and the angels themselves were rejoicing. And then they see Mary, one of the main disciples, and Mary, and they're like, Mary, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And, they, and when she had said this, she turned and, behold, and beheld Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Think about that. She did not know it was Jesus. Guess what word is used here in the original language? Same word. To look at something and to not understand what they're looking at. Same Greek word, E-I-D-O. Jesus looked, I mean, Mary looked at Jesus and thought it was the gardener. She associated, she associated him with someone that was probably supposed to be working there. She, she, she looked and she thought, you know what, this, this can't be Jesus. This must be someone who works here or something. And this is the way we function. When we looked at something impossible in our life or some miracle of God or what God is doing in our life, and we, we don't understand what we're looking at. We associate it with something that looks and sounds and feels like something that belongs there. In this case, the gardener by the tomb. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? <laughs> don't you like Jesus' questions? Obvious answers here, you know. Who are you seeking? And she said again, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him that I will take him away. And verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. Imagine that. Here Jesus says her name. And then at that moment when Jesus says her name, Mary understands who's talking to her. Doesn't that tell us a lot this morning about the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus Christ isn't that something? That when we get to heaven and we stand before Jesus Christ, that resurrected, glorified man on that throne of the mercy seat, the Bema seat, the throne of grace, he's going to say our name and we're going to know him. You know, I used to think that's going to be a scary day when I stand before God because I'm not going to know who this is. But we know who he is because we have heard him say our name before. He's going to say your name. Have you ever heard God say your name? Paul heard Jesus say his name the first time when he was on the road to Damascus. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Peter knew the way Jesus said his name because Jesus said his name many times. Simon, Simon, Peter. Here Jesus says Mary and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, teacher. 
How did Mary know Jesus? And we know that today there is this blasphemous philosophy or theory that Mary was married to Jesus, which is so wrong and so incorrect. We see here the scripture. We see the relationship that Mary had with Jesus. It was teacher. She was her, his student, and he said to her, Mary, and she said, teacher. And in verse 17, Jesus said, um, don't touch me because I'm going to, don't cling to me, don't hug me because I'm going to be going to ascending to heaven. And why did he say that? Because Jesus had not yet taken the blood with him to heaven. And whenever this, the lamb was sacrificed in the Old Testament, the, the blood had to be taken by the high priest to the mercy seat in the inner sanctum, in the inner holiest of holies in the temple. And Jesus had not done that yet. Jesus had, had come and appeared to Mary first. And then he took his blood with him and he went into the heavenlies and, and sprinkled that blood, put that blood on that, in, on the, on the, on that throne in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that throne of grace that we go to, that, that altar, that altar of propitiation and sanctification. And there that blood is today. Whenever we go to the mercy seat, that altar, there is the blood there for us. And when we approach God, don't approach God in this terrifying fear. Approach Him as your Father. And learn how to learn how to hear your names spoken by God. I want to end this message today with this: that think with God about circumstances in your life, and don't look for the worldly solutions or the worldly answers for things that come up. We all have needs in our life, whether internal or external. And the world system is continually giving or proposing ideas to the believer, to you and I, to the church, to put our trust in something that is not of God. Just because something looks good, it does not mean it's God. There's, there's, there's two O's in the word good, and there's one O in the word God. Many times before God gives us the best, the devil tries to give us a counterfeit substitute Waits for God's best in your life. Do not, do not take something that seems to be there, that looks good, that seems like what Eve's thought about the tree, that it was pleasant to the eyes and it was something that would make a person wise. Wait on God and wait on His provision. Think about your life. Think critically. When you and I look at things in our life, think with a critical mind, think things through to the end, think with God. I think later down in our life, when we look back at mistakes that we have made, not that we would do this in an introspective, morbid introspective way, but that we would look at it from this perspective, that every time we've made bad decisions, it's because we made a decision based on what we saw and did not understand. If you're looking at a situation in your life, like an empty tomb, and you don't understand what you're looking at, Go before God and hear from God. And you know what? God will speak to you. James chapter 1. If any man lacks wisdom, God who is upright and just, 
He will freely give us wisdom upon the asking. Just wait on the Lord and He will speak to you and think about. And when we look at the empty tomb today, we look at it and we believe, don't we? We say, Jesus has risen for my sins. All of our sins and all of our, all of our transgressions, all of our guilt and shame has been paid for and Jesus rose. Isn't it amazing that, that, that our sins did not kill Jesus you know, Muhammad today is still in the grave. Confucius today is still in the grave. Many great politicians and Napoleon and great world leaders, Alexander the Great, they are still in the grave. But there's one man that's not, and that is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He rose from the dead. Our sins did not keep him in the grave. Our mistakes did not kill him. Our unbelief did not hurt Jesus to the point where he never came back. You ever hurt somebody and they, 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 never, they never come back? Our sins did not offend Jesus. He came back and rose from the dead. And today when we see him, what was the first thing that Jesus said to the disciples as they were afraid in the upper room? First words, peace be unto you. They saw Jesus and they were thinking, okay, here we denied him, we ran away. And now we're really in for it. And Jesus said, it's all good peace be unto you. And he began to speak to them. That is our risen Savior today. And that means that if today we're wrestling with things in our life, if we're struggling with things, if we are living in some type of fear, just remember this, Jesus overcame it. And some of the battles that we face in our life and some of the battles that we try to fight in our life are battles that Jesus already won. And when we're weeping and when we're living in unbelief, about something that's empty and that's been resurrected in our life, Jesus will say, why are you weeping and who do you seek? And, and, and Mary's answer was right. I am seeking my Savior, my teacher. And so that is our great joy and our great, our great I'm so happy that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm so glad that, uh, that, that demons could not stop him as he rose from the dead and into the heavenlies. That is just so. That is so awesome, that 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 I'm not living under the, and that we are not living under the the memory and the burden of our sins, because God loves us, and Jesus rose from the dead, and He was so happy to do that. I think He burst out of that grave with joy. I think He just shook off those grave clothes, and He was just so happy, and and He wrote, and He was with the disciples for many days after that. Until, until Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, when Jesus rose into the sky and he said, as, and the angel said as he rose, the angel said to the disciples, as he rose, ascending, you will see him descending. And then he gave us a great commission. We're going to talk about that next Sunday, the great commission that God has given the church after his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God. Let's just thank the Lord this morning in your heart. Just thank him for raising, being risen from the dead. Thank him for his power over sin. Thank him for the power that he has over depression. Thank him for the power that he has over any health issues or, or any needs that we have. He is more powerful than that. Jesus is more powerful than any political system. He is more powerful than the Roman system that put him in the grave, that crucified him and put him in the grave. We thank you, God, for laying down your life and 
not choosing to spare yourself because you were not the center of the plan. I mean, in your own eyes, you were, but you did the Father's will, and that was the center. That was your meat to do the Father's will. And we thank you, God, for that. Let's just thank the Lord for that. We're going to stand and sing together now um, one old hymn that I love, uh, How Great Thou Art.